Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. This is our recap of Stage 14 in the Vuelta Espana. We only have, well, including this stage, five stages left in the Vuelta because it's only 18 stages. They had to cut out the first three, so lost, I guess, stages 19, 20, and 21. But this podcast is brought to you by Lacole, our partner and show host. They produce performance cycling apparel. They provide it to Bahrain McLaren in the Pro Peloton. Their man, Bahrain, is while well, Poles is up in the GC in top 10, looking pretty good actually. I think he'll might even move up a couple, couple of spots if he goes well on stage 17. And Benji and I have literally liked the kit. We've got it. I've got some summer kit that I got sent out. I think Benji got um, also some summer kit, even though Belgium's going into winter. So don't know what his thought process was there, but I know he likes it too. If you want to check them out, it's www.lacole.cc. Link in the show notes and the description. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast. There's a lot else going on in the world at the moment, um, but um, this World Tour Spanish Stage 14, I don't know if I'm going to say it did its best to distract us from it. It didn't, <laughs> but we'll get into it anyway. From Lugo to Orense. 200 Ks, and once when you look at the profile immediately, you know it's not going to make a difference to the GC in a substantive way. No time gaps really possible or major time gaps. Rolly Hills for the first 97 Ks, three cat threes that not going to scare anybody, sort of seven Ks at 4%, very gradual climbs. And then the finale is a twisty 1.1 kilometers at 6.5%, and I mean twisty and narrow, like three riders wide. And then the, we saw someone post on Twitter who was at the finish this morning. In the last 20 meters, there is a 90-degree left-hand turn, which means if you're not first there, you ain't winning. So very technical. This was designated by the UCI as not a mass sprint, so the three-second rule would not apply, but that didn't really matter, I don't think. At the end, but some strong riders and some familiar names got into today's breakaway, Benji. Yes, we had a large breakaway getaway at the start, a breakaway that not necessarily meant that they were going to go off and take the victory here because despite there being some pretty decent names in there, it was a bit too large to get away. We had a group with the likes of Wadpools, Grosschartner, four riders from Jumbo, Marc Soler, Guillaume Martin. And it was a total group of 26, which means that it has people from all kinds of teams. There were two teams that were not present in here. That was Ineos and UAE. And Ineos and UAE pulled in what an effort to try and get that back. The first hour of the race was really fast. And eventually, this group got taken back. But it did leave a little scare for the, uh, for the Ineos and uh, UAE, I guess, do not miss the next break. And... Well, one of those two teams succeeded. We had a breakaway of six. We had Mark Soler once again, Movistar once again. He's pretty far in GC now, so on paper, not exactly too dangerous. Basically going for the stage, I'd say. Then we've got Woods once again in the breakaway for Evadication first. Already won a stage, hunting for a second, just like Tim Wellens is doing for Lotto Sudalen's breakaway. Stivar, Fambala, and Pierre-Luc Péchon. Now, regarding that breakaway, I had the feeling throughout that everybody was kind of on a similar level, perhaps Pelichon a bit less, but the other five were pretty high up and I'd say on a similar level for this stage as well, because we 
know it from the preview yesterday, from the preview just a second ago, that the stage is not flat. It's got hills in it, but it's a bit of fake news hills. It's got hills of like two, three, four percent. One kilometer of a hill, that is nine percent. So that's a pretty difficult one, but it's very early on in the stage, so shouldn't influence too much. And it's the last kilometer that is uh that is a, a relatively steeper finish. So it would fit the likes that have a bit of a punch, unless you can get away earlier and Quite a few of those breakaway riders tried, but before we get to that, let's talk about what's happening in the breakaway. The gap of this group went up to a good five minutes the moment that they were released, and we saw in the peloton that Astana was taking over, and I thought, well, Astana missed the second breakaway, which they should not have, because their team basically relies on breakaways and Vlasov right now at this very moment, with the likes of Aramburu and Fraile, you are expected to be in a breakaway like this, and... They were not. They missed it. Not the first time, this this Vuelta, by the way. But they tried to keep the uh, the gap on a good five minutes. They succeeded in doing so. But I'd say that what they did did not catch the breakaway. They did not come much closer. And it wasn't until we saw a full squad of Total Direct Energy move to the front in the peloton that we saw any damage in the in the gap to the breakaway, because it was five minutes, Total Direct Energy comes to the front and smashes that time down to a solid one minute 40, one minute, two minutes, about two minutes, one minute 40, once we start the final proper climb. In the meanwhile, we had a bit of a puncture by Roglic, but it's not, not that big of a deal. He came back and uh, had no real issues doing so. Yeah, Direct Energy really trying to get the breakaway back in. And at a certain point, I was thinking perhaps they could do it and they could bring Julien Simon to a potential top five because I don't think he's really able to win a stage here. But at least they're trying. They started the climb and yeah, this, it started exploding in the breakaway, didn't it? Yeah, I think Mike Woods decided that he didn't want to bring Stibar and Wellens with him. He attacked on that that last climb. It wasn't that steep. I think it was if, if it was steeper, um, they might have had trouble bringing him back, but it wasn't that bad. And I think Woods clearly had the best legs out of anyone in the breakaway today uphill. Um, I think the finish showed, showed that as well. But it got brought back. They then got into the valley. They're attacking each other, attacking each other. Solaire attacks. He gets brought back. I think there are other attacks, etc. No one wants to go to the final finale with Woods. For obvious reasons, 1.1k, 6.5% uphill. And the gap is not really getting brought down despite TDE. Well, TDE now have one man left on the peloton who's tired. And Mitchell and Scott, in all their wisdom, with Dion Smith and Rob Stannard back in the group, probably I thought one of their better chances for a good stage result today. Um, they're back there. They eventually start half helping with one rider, but it doesn't, yeah, they don't um, really help at all. It kind of stalls. Um, and I'm seeing now Dion Smith finished 6 minutes 50 down and Stannard finished 40 seconds behind um, the main group. So I don't really know what was going on with them. So maybe that's why they didn't chase too hard. Not a season to remember from Mitchell and Scott, that's for sure, and particularly this uh, Vuelta Espana. But, yeah, no one really helped Total Direct Energy. I thought Jumbo Visma were going to help them. Uh, could have, sorry, could have helped them. I didn't think they were going to help them. Could have helped them. We'll talk about that after the stage result. So attacks then, minute 40 gap, 
not being brought back, so the Peloton's not really pacing. Then the Peloton pretty much gives up. Then the group is together then for maybe another oh, five to seven kilometers till about 13 k's to go. They're actually rolling turns normally. And then I think Jinex Debar attacks pretty hard. He gets marked by Marc Soler. Marc Soler once again having pretty good legs, but Stebar pulling very hard. Stebar on, on a climb, increasing the gap to 14 seconds, I think. And sorry, and then Wellens snap bridged across to those guys, seeing them going across the road. So Wellens, Stebar, Soler. We've got 10 k's to go. Aronsman, Dylan Van Baal, and Woods, I thought, were done uh, as well. I thought. They were in real trouble. That gap went out to 13 to 14 seconds. Soler and Stibar and Wellens, no, no slouches, were working quite well together. And, yeah, they managed to claw it back bit by bit. I think because Soler stopped working with about 3Ks to go, he started soft-pedaling and then he outright refused to pull through with 2Ks to go. Then at the base of this climb, by the way, the Peloton's given up at this point, so... I'll talk about what EF could have done differently in a second, but the, the peloton's given up, so this gap has now gone out to four or five minutes, so it's obviously breakaway, so they could they have every right to attack each other. So they're not pulling. That's allowed Woods to come back. Not great news for Stebar particularly, and probably Soler, to be honest. And then so that we now have the group of six riders, Wellens, Stebar, Van Baal, Soler, Ansman, and Woods. They they get caught right at the base of this climb. The positioning is crucial. And, I, I mean, this is a very, very narrow climb. If you want to probably on uh, the Vuelta's YouTube channel, they have the last kilometre up there, so you'll see the entirety of the climb. If you want to check it out, that's probably all you need to see, really, of this stage. Woods goes to the front after Soler soft pacing for a little bit in the, line, in the first 200 metres. Then Woods goes to the front and leads out from maybe 800 to 500 and just looking over his left shoulder constantly. I thought he would have been better off marking Stebar or Wellens, to be honest. Um, and then at 500 metres to go, Wellens accelerates. Now, Gene, this is an absolute masterclass from Wellens, this finale. He could, he accelerated with 500 to go. He then, that allowed him to take the next corner in front. He then went, sorry, he slipped straight in front of Woods and kind of started then pedalling at his own pace, took the corner at his own pace, not pedalling. Then the next corner, Soler tries to attack and get in front of him. Wellen sees it coming, slides in front or moves over on Soler, and then basically kind of, I wouldn't know, it doesn't, he doesn't check his momentum. It's not like a deviation of sorts, but it just his positioning before that corner allowed him to then surge in response to that acceleration from Soler and take his preferred line through the next corner. Soler then gets in the way of Stebar and Woods, and then at 2.25 to go, Wellens pro then kicks hard his final actual acceleration or attack for the line for the finish. That gap, Soler, who's blocked Stebar and Woods. Stebar's gone, probably didn't have the legs anyway. Woods then has to come around in a gently, I think, bending uh, left-hand turn. Has to come around. Soler, the long way, has to close the gap to Wellens. He closes the gap at 75 metres to go. He then... It starts to overlap on the right-hand side of Wellens, but then, and Woods clearly had the best legs still, I think, but then with 25 minutes to go, there's this 90-degree hairpin, and or 90-degree turn, sorry, to the left. Wellens gets to take his preferred line through it because he was on the inside and slightly in front of Woods. That then forces Woods the very long way around, and um, that's all she wrote. Wellens won the stage with a perfectly timed initial acceleration, allowed him to take all the corners in the way he 
liked and allowed him to get that gap to Woods because Woods and Stewart were out of, were out of position and uh, be first through that pivotal last corner. So the second stage win for Tim Wellens, one of a short list of Belgians to win two stages in uh, in the same Vuelta Espana. What did you think of this this finale, Benji? I might let you, was this hard enough for genuine GC action? Was it hard enough for Roglic, do you think? Because um, I think it was. I think it was as well. But, like, if we go through it, I've got remarks on two teams that had an opportunity. Well, one team that had an opportunity and didn't take it, and one team that I just blatantly don't know what they did today. And towards the final itself, I'd like to add that Wellens has been doing well for his whole Velta. He's not usually the guy that is great in Grand Tours since that Giro he was good in a few years back. And I'm glad that he's that he's poking out on top here and that he's showing something. I do believe that without that corner with 10 meters to go, Woods would have taken it. So 100% they would have been for Woods if that corner was not there. I believe that that corner should not be there. You can't put a 90-degree corner 20 meters before the line or 10 meters before the line. That's just fucked up. And what makes it more fucked up is the potential dangers of it. Because let's say the corner is fine and having a corner there is fine. But there are these blue ad things that pop out on the side of the road in the last few hundred meters of a race. And we've got this in any ASO race. And we saw this at the Tour de France being an issue uh, and being a excuse used for Sagan's uh, movement in that sprint stage. That he was avoiding a white advertisement obstacle. Um, and today there was a blue one of these and it popped out more outside of the corner because in the inside corner... It was literally in the middle, so that means that it's basically not in a position where you can avoid it if you take the inner corner. If you take the inner corner, you're riding into that blue thing. And imagine if it's two people sprinting it out, and one person leaves a bit of a gap on his left. The other person is going to take that inner corner. What will you say? Will you say that the right person closed the gap by being too close to the barrier, or will you say that it's a parkour failure that they ride into that blue advertisement thingy because that shouldn't be there in the last 25 meters of a potential sprint at a finish like this. It it might not have been a peloton sprint, but it could have been a group of 10 sprinting for it with two people going into that final corner next to each other. And that causing a crash like that would have been pretty harmful if it was Roglic and, and Karapal sprinting next to each other, for example. But that counts for any rider, by the way. It's, I'm not being hypocritical and saying that Roglic crashing would be worse than anything else. It's all the same for me. But in general, yeah, that, that finish should not be done in a race like this. And we've spoken a lot about dangerous finishes. This is perhaps a less dangerous one than Polonia, obviously. But still, it's they've spoken a lot about having a bit of a, a review system, a third party that reviews these finishes, that reviews the parkours. And kind of hammers on the safety part of it. And I believe that's a good idea, but I don't know who would finance that, obviously. That's mainly the issue of starting stuff like that. But all in all, I do believe that there needs to be a better solution than having finishes like this. And then throughout the stage, we realize that a finish like that is built that way. Obviously, you can always say that it's perhaps the mistake of the people that were building the barriers on the side at the end, but I think that's responsibility of the race organizer to test it out. Because uh, they got to review that afterwards, you know. Like, well, I'll let you speak. The way they're <laughs> taking this corner, 
they're taking this corner with 25 metres to go. Yeah, it's uphill. They're still going really quick. They cannot really hold their line. It's actually impossible. This corner is so sharp. And you saw it with Wellens. They can't hold their line from the apex and bend it around to stay on the inside. They have to go from the apex over to the far side and eventually, effectively cut across the whole road. And we saw that when the peloton crossed over later. They're kind of all over the place. And because they weren't really sprinting for the stage and they all realised they were the same time, no bonus seconds on offer, I don't think everyone was going maximum, say, Rolich and Martin or, or whatever, at, right at the end. Um, but if people were really trying to throw their bike and, and go for the stage win, etc., it might have been a different story. Um, but in that GC group, well, as I said, no bonus seconds, no stage win on offer. Rolich seemed to me just to be following moves to see if they'd gap anybody. He let everyone else um, take up the pace. Dan Martin, as is his want, attacked quite early on the climb, trying to take back a couple of seconds. Hugh Carthy looked in difficulty and actually lost a wheel halfway through the climb. There might have been something there if Roglic had pressed on with Martin. They could have extended that gap. Maybe Carapaz was right on Roglic's wheel. And, uh, yeah, yeah. eventually after after the, the uh, breakaway group, which was Wellens, Woods, Stibar, Van Baal, Soler, Aronsman, Pierre-Luc Perrichon finished somewhere just before the GC group in no man's land. Then it was, who was it? Dan Martin, Gonzalo Serrano, Fakaha Rural, Roglic 10th, and uh, Carapaz and Carthy, etc. Mass all last of all on the same time. So no GC action today, no bonus seconds. If you were Yumbo Visma Benji, would you have chased or aided the chase of the breakaway? And would you have done it with five minutes helping Astana, or would you have just done it in total direct energy and done the hard work for you and brought it to 90 seconds with 20Ks to go? Okay, if it's not if it's five minutes, I would not base as I'm Jumbo Visma, but it's not a mistake by Jumbo Visma per se. But it, I see it as a missed opportunity, and it's not the only team that has these missed opportunities in a Grand Tour. So I'm not bashing them for it, but I do believe if I would be the the BS of Jumbo Visma, I'd think about this. And if the gap goes down to a minute forty, and you're on that last climb, and you're Jumbo Visma with Still Paul Martins and still Hofstede in that group because I I checked and they seem to be in there. So on paper, I would I would dare to put those two guys at the front and help them out. And you've got a situation where at the end of the stage, you could either come out with nothing. That's the worst case scenario because you're not going to lose time. And the best case scenario is that you gain 10 seconds on your rivals because I don't see Karapaz beating beating Roglic on a, an uphill sprint like that. Karapaz was decent at that Polonia one, but he was also good at the Giro one last year. But Roglic is next level for that and definitely on these uh, these types of terrains. So I believe that if they went for it, then they could have gained an advantage out of this. It's obviously never known for sure whether that would happen because Philipson and Bennett were still in that group. I still vouch that the likes of a Philipson would given his all to try and get a sprint up this climb, but it might have been difficult. So perhaps Roglic would have been better fitted. But uh, all in all, I'd say that if I was at the end of Jumbo, I, I'd have gone for it. And the excuse that some people used to me when I brought this up on, on Twitter uh, throughout the afternoon, because I, I said it during the race, if I'm Jumbo right now, I'd pace because 
there's nothing to lose outside of like a tiny bit of energy with the likes of Martens and Hofstede. That's not going to kill you for the upcoming days. And well, because Roglic still has to sprint anyway. He's still booked to because everyone's going to be sprinting. Yeah. So you still have to do the finale the same way, pretty much. Yeah, and additionally, uh, I think that if we look at the start of the stage, they go in the breakaway for riders, so they're clearly not that afraid of losing energy on their domestiques today if that breakaway goes through and they try and win the stage. Perhaps they were just trying to get Ineos out of their cage and have them force a chase once again for the full day, but the breakaway didn't make it for that. But I feel if you are able to put four people in the break at the start of the stage, you can at least use two of your domestiques to try and win 10 seconds. That is 20%, 25% of his lead that he would gain extra on the likes of Carapaz. He doesn't perhaps need it, but it's always extra. And if you've got a mechanical the next couple of days, yeah, then the, then it's going to backfire that you don't use these opportunities and yeah, that's why I'd say that I would have tried to use this opportunity. But as a follow-up, I also don't like how Astana rode today. They controlled the whole race at five minutes. They see Total Direct Energy take over and close the gap to one minute 40. And then they just sit up and don't do anything. <laughs> and like their domestique that was working all day was still in that peloton. So yeah, I don't know what Astana was doing today. Their tactic was worse than... Uh, the missed opportunity of Jumbo. So I believe that Astana were the, um, were the tactical failures of the day. Yeah, if I was Jumbo Vismaro, I would have paced at 20Ks to go because tomorrow you just let the break, the break go. Um, you let it go to whatever it wants to go to, 15 minutes, 2Ks, take the day off, 230Ks, no major climbs. We'll preview it in a, I'll preview it now while I'm talking about it. It's uh, Mos de Pueblo. Puebla de Sanabria, Sanabria, yeah, 231Ks, five cat, three, five cat three climbs, nothing really outrageous, and a flat finish. So there's going to be no GC action that I can see, weather or mechanicals, etc. permitting there shouldn't be. Um, yeah, they're not very hard climbs. It's just a long stage, so I don't really... If I was Yama Visma tomorrow, I would take the day off and let the breakaway go. We'll get to our picks in a second. So that being said, stage 15, they can get, let the break go, chill, just do whatever. Stage 16, I mean, you're not chilling in a grand tour, but you get my meaning. Stage 16, it's a sprint stage. I think um, Sam Bennett and Dekernic Quickstep will be pretty interested in that stage. And then stage 17 is the last mountain stage. That's a few days away. And then you're done. So you've had a couple. You had a rest day. Had the ITT when the domestiques would have been not doing the maximum. I'm not sure it would have been that much energy expenditure, as you said, Benji, to chuck Hofstetter and Martins or Wynans up the front, particularly because it's different, right? If it's a flat sprint and Roglic gets to completely take the finale off, doesn't even have to sprint if you let the breakaway go. But he has to sprint up this hill, pretty much close to the maximum anyway, to cover Dan Martin's move. So. I would have let it out with Bennett and Coos or whoever at the base of the climb if you brought back the breakaway, get Roglic into position with 250 to go. And with those twists and turns, he would have been a heavy, heavy favourite in my book. And that's an extra 10 seconds that every second counts. And um, this is professional sports, so no gifts. Um, 
I don't care if you won four stage wins, but again, I'm not in the car, so maybe a bit of backseat driving. Another team I thought made a mistake, and this is now we're getting into Galaxy Brain 5000 IQ stuff, is education first. So I don't think the results are accurately representing what would have happened, Benji, if the breakaway got brought back, because I think the climby sprinters, once the breakaway was allowed to go, didn't even bother sprinting up the climb, right? That makes sense. Like Stannard and, and Aaron Brew, they just just wrote, wrote it in uh, Magnus Court. So we don't actually know how they would have gone on the climb. I think education first when that gap was at 90 seconds and you had people attacking Mike Woods and you know no one is going to want to go to the finish with Mike Woods. I think you have to be careful when he's – and it eventually didn't really cost him, uh, to be honest, but – it could have, I think it would have cost him if he wasn't able to bring back that move of Stibar and Wellens. And I was saying I would have left it at, I would have kept the gap at like two minutes, 90 seconds, maybe nothing, maybe two minutes, etc., and just keep a little bit of fake pressure on that breakaway group so that Woods is able to maybe sit on more. Or if he does get dropped and gapped, you can pace and put Magnus Court into good position for the finale. And the end of the day, didn't, that didn't really come into effect, uh, that strategy. But picks for tomorrow, Benji, that 230K stage. I'm saying the breakaway is going to win, and I don't know who in it yet. Yeah, I think that the break is going to win it as well, but who's going to win it? There's so many names that we could name. We've named quite a lot already throughout this whole thing. If I don't put us in the break tomorrow and he wins it, I'm going to be so sad because I'm not going to pick him. And um, I think I'm going to go for, yeah, I've, I've got such a difficult time here. Uh, I'd love to have like a Sunweb Rider pop out, a youngster like like Aran's Mon, but also Edith Helling of, of Bora would be fun. I think I'll go with an Extreme Dark Horse and name Edith Helling for tomorrow, which is probably less likely, but I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I feel like that's a, a fun one to... Uh, to put some attention on. He's been uh, riding pretty well throughout, and I, I'd i love to see him ride better tomorrow, but it could just be anyone else, like Ryabushenko, Rui Costa, Formolo, who has not done too much throughout this whole race, and Freile, <laughs> just the likes of everybody except for Schelling will probably win tomorrow, but I'm going for Schelling. My pick is Mathieu Cataneo. He's well-rounded one-day racer, uh, can climb, Decent sprint. He's come second in GP Industria and Artigianato in uh, 2019. Won one Giro del Apennino in 2019. Had a Masnada. Um, can climb okay. I, I like him for the breakaway tomorrow. And um, yeah, I think he's a sort of profile of rider that can win if it's a reduced bunch sprint. He can also maybe get away on one of the last climbs. But I think he'd be backing his sprint if it was like three to five riders and they're kind of, yeah, not the best sprinters in the world. Otherwise, I'm trying to, look, I'm trying to pick someone that's maybe from the uh, from the pro Conti teams just to give someone different. Pim Lichtard, can he get in the break tomorrow? What about Pim Lichtard? You know, if he gets in the break, these climbs aren't very, very difficult. Does he... See climb okay, Benji. Oh, decent, but I wouldn't put him in uh in tomorrow's stage. <laughs> That's my opinion. Yeah. But you can have your pick, of course. 
Maybe a little bit hard for him. Um, <laughs> if he wins tomorrow and I, and I just na- let you name a different name instead, then I'm going to feel so horrible. <laughs> Lastra? What about Jonathan Lastra for Kaharurao? Yeah, he's, he's got a nice, well-rounded abilities. they got to get in a break, break away tomorrow. But it's easier said than done getting in a break. So I'm going with, uh, yeah, a couple of dark horses to Lastra and Mattia Katano. You went, sorry, you, you said Edith Schelling, Benji? Yes, I did. Yeah, and we're not expecting any GC action, so hopefully we jinx it and a lot of stuff does happen tomorrow. Is there any other news, Benji, in the cycling world at the moment? Um, anything you got on? I don't think so. <laughs> I know what you're trying right. to do, but I'll, I'll talk about it in one of the upcoming uh, podcasts a bit more. I'd, I'd, I'd love to announce it when, uh, when there's some uh, context towards it. It's not ready yet, so I want to wait a bit. That's all from us today, just a short one. Thanks to LaCole for supporting us with the podcast. Check them out at www.lacole.cc and we'll see you for tomorrow. tomorrow's Stage 15 recap. Just a few more stages of World Tour Cycling left this season. Let's make the most of them.